Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the end of the working week. The news is breaking as we record that Attorney General Merrick Garland has elevated U.S. Attorney David Weiss to a special counsel on the Hunter Biden matter. As Jonathan Turley noticed on Fox News, Garland is keeping this quest narrowly focused on Hunter and not on the echoes of bribery in a list of Biden family members all getting chunks of money from foreign governments and business entities. Don't call it bribery. We can't get them to do that. The news media are not going to use the B word, perhaps because they know bribery is in the list of impeachable offenses. Now, the first media criticism point about this, about appointing David Weiss as a special counsel, is that the networks have pretended that David Weiss didn't actually exist for most of the last five years, up until the Hunter Biden plea deal promptly blew up in a courtroom. This might put him on the map a little. Uh, Democrats and their media enablers on TV seem upset at this appointment because they suggest it's gonna he's going to have a more newsworthy position that's going to be harder to ignore. It all has this tenor of, now you're sort of making this Fox News conspiracy garbage sound like real news. Now, it's also possible, though, that they could try to treat special counsel David Weiss as basically Robert Herr, too. Who is Robert Herr? Well, that's the guy who is the special counsel probing Joe Biden, having classified documents in his garage and other locations. Barely heard from him. We had a little bit of it on Friday morning. NBC had this exclusive story that the Biden team was negotiating an interview with Robert Herr. But for the most part, they make these jokes about uh, him being on a milk carton. Uh, so we will continue to bring you what we expect, our calculations on how dramatically and divergently the TV networks cover the Trump indictments and the Biden scandals. Curtis Houck's latest numbers is showing it's like at a 70 to 1 clip. 70 times as much Trump indictment news as about the Biden scandals, the Biden bribery, and so on. And some are expecting an indictment next week in the Fulton County, Georgia case on the 2020 election. So we could just start that whole machine up again. Now, today I would like to dig into a clip on Thursday's Inside Politics on CNN, where the former host John King went on a reporting trip to Iowa to talk to those strange Republicans. And then he came back to talk to the current host of Inside Politics, Dana Bash, also known as the former Mrs. King. Not the scarecrow in Mrs. King, huh? Also, Dana Bash is the former Mrs. Jeremy Bash, Obama advisor. Now, apparently, Dana Bash got very angry when the Los Angeles Times headline on her appointment was Mrs. John King. 
John King's exits exit uh, inside politics for new role. His ex-wife, Dana Bash, will succeed him. This is also known as facts. But she had to tweet, In this context, I am not an ex-wife. I am a veteran journalist with decades of experience who worked hard for this role. Do better, please. As feminists get very upset that you would be Mrs. King, you'd be the ex-wife. This is all true, but these facts, they don't like putting it in this way. Dana Bash apparently wanted a headline that said, CNN's inside politics now gets a goddess. So anyway, John King's traveling around Iowa. In his story, he started with the Mudd family. They had the Mudd advertising agency and the Mudd solar uh, panel business which is based in Cedar Falls. So he brings out the Mudd family. He's got them seated around a table, family and friends. King had to announce, no one here watches CNN. (laughs) Well, yeah, they're a group of Republicans. Yeah, he should have said, that's because CNN is by Democrats for Democrats. They still want to pretend at times like they're trying to be news for all Americans instead of a niche channel for Trump haters. So they thought the biggest scene in all this is when John King asked them to raise their hands if they support Ukraine in the fight against Russia or support great American support for Ukraine. And none of the voters at the table raised their hands. Now, there's like seven people around the table. This is not, you know, an audience of 100 and their family and friends, so they all know each other. So maybe somebody thought about raising their hand and then saw nobody else did, so they were like, all right. That may not represent a majority of Iowa Republicans, but look, I myself am in the expel those terrible Russian invaders camp, but Americans in the hinterland should be able to question whether we've spent too much in Ukraine, how long we expect this support to go on, and whether we're disappointed with how the war is going. We can certainly question the foreign policy chops of Team Biden and the, and the military prowess of the Biden Pentagon. That's the Mehdi Hassan pronunciation. Uh, Chris Mudd then quite properly says, how do you trust the government when they shut down news stories on Facebook and Twitter? Yes, obviously Exhibit A is the Hunter Biden laptop story in October 2020. But this somehow sent Bash and King into despair over the crazy conservatives in the hinterland who aren't watching CNN. First, here's Bash. You think Donald Trump is an honest and trustworthy person? Yes. Yes. This is warm-up season. Five months until Iowa votes. Five months until Republicans divided over Trump make a defining choice. And John King is back in the Inside Politics studio. Fantastic piece, fantastic reporting. So much to unpack there. One of the things that um, struck me, first and foremost, obviously, was, and it really in my gut, in my heart, was just how seeped in these completely um, conspiratorial questions and and thoughts are 
in the zeitgeist, particularly when you're talking to Republicans who consume conservative media who don't tell them the whole truth. Oh, these completely conspiratorial questions. Republicans consume media that don't tell the whole truth. Can you imagine, if I may borrow from Steve Krakauer, the lack of introspection about what it is that CNN does? Dana is suggesting CNN tells the whole truth to viewers. Huh? No, they fit right into the category of conspiracy collusion conspiracy theory the, the idea that they're going to say other networks do conspiratorial stories they did like three years of russian conspiracy garbage and then they did the hunter biden russian disinformation suppression so who's misinformed democrat journalists are always going to insist the republicans are deeply misinformed there are conspiracy theories on both sides of politics and among independents. A lot of journalism starts with a conspiracy theory. Now we have a conspiracy where they, there's what we call a conspiracy to say evidence doesn't exist. There's no evidence that Joe Biden's connected to Hunter Biden in any way. <laughs> Whatever. Now, you know, inside politics, let's just isolate this one individual show when we talk about why would Iowa Republicans not watch inside politics. In recent weeks, this is the show where Dana Bash marveled over Jack Smith got a sandwich at Subway. And John King was like, oh, this steak and cheese is a real message to Trump that he's not giving up, you know. Now, they didn't know whether you got a steak and cheese or a tuna or an Italian BMT, but they somehow thought this was a great thing. You know, Jack Smith calls up CNN and goes, I'm going to get a sandwich. Send a camera crew. All right, shouldn't that tell you if you're a Republican? Yeah, no, that's not a station I need to watch. And then there was another segment where John King asked whether Joe Biden can make centrism quote, unquote, sexy. Dude. Joe Biden is 80 and a half. He's not Justin Timberlake bringing sexy back. Oh, then John King makes this funnier, this whole uh, trip to Iowa. Uh, talking about how these people he met would break the CNN fact check machine. <laughs> Look, they're still believing all their Zucker advertising with the red apples. We're the trusty apples, and all you Iowa voters are bananas. But when you hear the Ukraine exchange there, it's like watching the open of an old Tucker Carlson show. He's not there anymore, but that's what it is. And these are busy people. These are hardworking people. There are too many Democrats who want to say they're deplorables or, you know, why talk to these people? There are millions of them. Uh, this is a family that literally is, is an economic anchor in the community. The business started in the basement, employs 80 people. The new solar company employs 15 people in a part of the country that has been devastated economically and challenged economically the last 25 years. They're good people. They raise money for the Girl Scouts. They go to church. But they believe things that would break our fact-check machine. That's just a fact. And they don't trust us. They think we're part of the problem. Yeah. So this is a long conversation. You're not going to solve it in one meeting. I was grateful for their time. And we sat there and had the exchange. Some of it you see there. Some of it's not on television. I hope I can go back and continue the conversation on respect. We can disagree. I can say that's wrong. But let's do it respectfully because that's what the country misses. It, it, 
It was incredibly and will continue to be incredibly respectful. John King went into this whole flattering thing for the people he'd actually interviewed. These are busy people. They're hardworking people. They go to church. They raise money for the Girl Scouts. What he's basically saying is they're good people, but they're deluded because they don't watch me. They don't watch Dana Bash and her deep, deep cuts today. Is it a six inch or a 12 inch? <laughs> so, uh, but this whole line about how, oh, this is a long conversation. You're not going to solve it in one meeting, this mistrust problem. But let's disres dis disagree respectfully. That's what the country misses. You know, maybe that's John King's formula. John King is one of these people who isn't usually the one that's going to be a Jim Acosta and say all kinds of outrageous things to get attention for himself. That's not really his mode. He is more of a calm, cool character who might want to disagree respectfully as his model, but that does not match the CNN machine as we understand it. So, you know, here they are, CNN's trying to speak to Iowa Republicans. And there was more voters in this piece. You know, there were some people who can't abide Trump anymore after the 2020 election and all the misbehavior and the election denial. Um, that Trump still hasn't conceded the, the, uh, that he was defeated. And now he's, you know, he's going to prison unless he can convince everybody that he still believes he was actually elected. There were voters in this piece who do or don't like Ron DeSantis. You know, there's a broader spectrum in this piece than just the Mudd family all being suspicious about Ukraine, that Joe Biden's going into Ukraine over the first Trump impeachment or something. But, you know, this is how liberal networks struggle when they try to talk to Republicans and they can't help, they just can't help show their contempt for them. Because if you don't agree with them, you're not well informed. Uh, they are not alone. You know, these are not the only two people who sound self-deluded to the conservatives. Take Thursday night. Eric Deggins is a TV critic at National Public Radio. Before that, he was a TV reporter at the Tampa Bay Times. So I should just disclose. Eric Deggins and I used to have these rollicking phone conversations that were supposed to be interviews. Deggins would end up quoting me for about 17 words in the actual story in the Tampa Bay Times. But, you know, we had a good time, like, basically shooting the breeze back and forth. I like talking to Eric. I think he's a fun guy when he talks about music. But, you know, he, he really, on Thursday night, sort of stepped out of a second-story window, metaphorically. He was responding to a tweet from the account Decoding Fox News. That's a liberal account from Juliet Jeske. Yes, the lefties love her anti-Fox takedowns. Uh, she identifies on Twitter as a research associate at the Toe Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York. I kind of like this because Craig Newmark is one of these guys that feels bad that he destroyed the classified advertising business for newspapers with Craigslist. So Craig Newmark is, a, you know, dumped a bunch of money into PolitiFact. You know, he's very, if he's supporting a graduate school of journalism, it's a left-wing hive. 
Uh, Julia Jeske, also a repeat guest on the Aaron Rupar show. Wouldn't that tell you enough? Anyway, decoding Fox News, she tweeted, no Tarlov on the five today, Jessica Tarlov. It's never as good without her. People have asked me why they keep her around. My guess is that she makes great television because Fox viewers like watching her fight with her co-hosts. She's brilliant and has the patience of a saint. So, hooray, there's a liberal on Fox News. Uh, usually, they hate a liberal on Fox News because they're a Fox liberal the way that we see as an MSNBC Republican. But anyway, over this pro-Jessica Tarlov tweet, Eric Deggins quote tweeted, Part of the Fox News formula is pretending they are quote-unquote fair and balanced by allowing liberals to speak, but only in situations where they are tremendously outweighed slash outnumbered by conservatives. This reaches back to the origins of the channel and the show Hannity and Combs. You know, this reminds me a little of Al Franken's joke in one of his books. It must be Lying Liars and the Liars Who Lie, where he, he would do the uh, italics of Hannity and Combs, and Combs would be like in tiny little typeface. He's basically saying Combs was, was barely there. Well, look, at least that show was a debate show. They went from Hannity and Combs to just Hannity. There's no debate anymore. It's just Hannity and Trump. Anyway, I did the Alan Combs radio show once back in the day when they were doing Hannity and Combs. And Combs had a Fox News radio show after. And I think it was right after. Like, he did a show on radio from 10 to 11. And I tried to do that show once, and he came at me, bro. It was like I could not get a word in edgewise. He was like working through all his anger of the things that he didn't think he could say on, on regular Fox TV. And I, you know, I don't generally do this, but I said to the publicist, I don't want to do that show again. <laughs> That's a mess. I'm not going to get a word in edgewise. I'm just going to get yelled at like I did something wrong. So let's, let, let's allow the idea that you know the five is generally a four-on-one show and when a lefty like Tarlov is not outnumbered she's outnumbered but look how does that compare to CNN or MSNBC there's no crossfire anymore there's new Buchanan and press the Republicans allowed seem to come from what we might call the Kurt Bardella Center for soulless opportunism Bardella holla <laughs> but you know, then there's NPR. You know, conservatives pounced on Deggins about NPR, of course. Someone beat me to making the obvious point that in 2020, NPR notoriously proclaimed proudly that the Hunter Biden laptop was fake news and a terrible distraction from the real news. That came from Terrence Samuel, who was in charge of news at NPR back then. Now he's running USA Today. He embarrassed himself, but apparently not, because now he's the boss at USA Today. So just here's another example. I'm in the car at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and uh, the story is on DeSantis. And it's all about how Ron DeSantis basically canned a, one of these soft-on-crime prosecutors who's a big lefty 
And Winsor Johnston, uh, you know, only gives voice to the fired prosecutor. There's no soundbite of DeSantis. And then she closes with this snippy thing. Protesters took to the streets in downtown Orlando last night after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis suspended state attorney Monique Worrell of the Ninth Judicial Circuit. DeSantis says he removed her for neglect of duty and incompetence. Speaking at a rally outside City Hall, Worrell shot back against those claims. They wanted to say that I wasn't doing my job, and they knew that they could do that with impunity because no one was going to look at whether or not they were doing theirs. This is the second time DeSantis has removed an elected prosecutor whose politics did not align with his conservative views. Yeah, this whole notion that Ron DeSantis will fire you because you're not a conservative. That's the kind of contempt we get from NPR. Stephen Redstees Miller, one of our Twitter favorites here at Newsbusters, simply tweeted uh, over uh, Deggins, unlike NPR. Yes, NPR has no Hannity and Combs, no outnumbered, no the five with one conservative. NPR's idea of a Republican voice used to be putting on David Brooks, and now they've even dropped the Friday panel with Brooks and E.J. Dion. Somehow, I guess, David Brooks was just... To right wing. <laughs> I don't know why they decided to do that. Um, because, again, Brooks and Dion is a little like Brooks and Capehart, as they agreed 85% of the time. But they pretended, oh, now some conservative voices. Uh, so, Deggins then said over Red Steez, yep, because on NPR, we are not telling our audience that Donald Trump won an election. He did not win. So this is how Deggins characterizes all the conservatives, is that we can't have the conservatives on because they're all liars and election deniers. Oh, snap! Deggins owns the right-wingers! Deggins also responded to a tweet that said, You are state-sponsored propaganda. Maybe sit this one out, son. Now, you don't generally tell a black man, you don't call him son, you don't call him boy, I don't care if it's Twitter, (laughs) I don't care if you're being colloquial, you're going to get in trouble. Eric Deggins wrote a book called Race Bader, Uh, but you know, uh, Deggins merely responded with, maybe look up the definition of those phrases you're throwing around and then look up the facts on who funds NPR. So he's trying to suggest... Well, NPR isn't state-sponsored because, I don't know, they're 2% funded by the federal government. You know, the NPR people say this. It's blatantly lying. We would estimate, and you have to estimate because the NPR doesn't keep books that the American people can really look at. Remember, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting takes the federal money and sends it out to NPR stations, and then the NPR stations send it back to Washington as programming fees so there's a bunch of shell games going on there um but i i think we can guess that npr probably takes about a third of its money from the federal government and that's not the only government sources but that's you know don't let anybody try to tell you that there it's either two percent or almost nothing because you know obviously then it would be really easy for the conservatives to defund npr if it was only two percent because you just say it's only two percent well, you won't even miss it. But Eric Deggins, 
who will not, by the way, go by the initials E.D. Uh, Deggins tried to shame someone who shared with him a New York Post article on how NPR had to correct an article on Hunter Biden's drug addict memoir, Beautiful Things. The correction on the article said, a previous version of this story said U.S. intelligence had discredited the laptop story. U.S. intelligence officials have not made a statement to that effect. Yes, that's right. They basically tried to say that because uh, Antony Blinken rounded up a bunch of uh, you know, Obama-Biden intelligence professionals that somehow the laptop had been discredited. But Deggins came back to this guy with, a mistake in a book review? You're really straining on that one, my friend. And then one person tweeted after the Red Steve's message, funny how you're choosing not to reply to those asking how NPR presents a more level playing field for conservative voices. If you could do so without invoking the low-hanging fruit of Donald Trump, that'd be great. Yes, often that people will say, what? We had conservatives on. We had on a soundbite of Trump. Now, Trump soundbites aren't aired much on NPR because I think that would drive the hardcore listeners nuts. They might actually drive off the interstate, so they're not going to do that a lot. Trump never, never gave an interview to NPR while he was running for president the first time or while he was president. Trump did do an interview with Steve Inskeep in the morning after 2020, but when Inskeep started going into the election denial, he hung up. Anyway, all of this caused Deggins to just lose it with this message. This is the piece de resistance. Deggins tweeted, If you think NPR doesn't let conservative voices speak, then you are not listening to NPR. Say what? I had to respond to that. I said to him, I listen to NPR nearly every day, and I do not hear a lot of conservative voices in NPR. My friend Dave Pierre seconded that motion. Not an emotion, but the motion. Now, Deggins ultimately went back and did a little homework, and then he linked to an August 7 story on Morning Edition where anchor Steve Inskeep spoke with former Trump budget director Russell Vaught. So, okay, here's an actual interview with a conservative making some conservative points, uh, points about you know, what Trump might do in a second term about regulatory agencies and the permanent government. But it was sort of more of a debate segment. Uh, you know, they had on an expert, a professor, who talked about how conservatives misunderstand the government. Um, that's fine. Look, even a one-on-one -on -one interview with a conservative and NPR ends up being a debate segment. You know, we can go back to Mary Louise Kelly fighting with Mike Pompeo. You know, she has an interview with Antony Blinken, and it's all tea and cookies, crumpets, whatever. Mary Louise Kelly does nicer interviews with Iranian dictator people than she did with Mike Pompeo. So, I mean, NPR definitely has a problem with conservative voices. And we can absolutely state, you know, I'm not going on NPR to discuss media bias. Now, I did get on a local The 1A show a while back, uh, but it wasn't about media bias, necessarily. It was about uh, kneeling, genuine kneeling during the national anthem and whether that was racist or something.
Uh, but it's very rare. You know, we are not generally welcome on NPR. Obviously, in their case, they'd say, why should we have somebody on who wants to take away our taxpayer money? Okay, I understand. But, you know, don't try to run around and say, there's lots of conservative voices in NPR. No, we're listening to you. That is not the case. You know, I had to tweet the other day when it came to the latest Biden scandal developments. James Comer comes out with this list. The, the Biden family has taken $20 million from all these foreign sources, and they've spread it out among kids, grandkids, uncles and aunts. And NPR couldn't do that story. But, you know, NPR could do eight minutes on the birth of hip-hop or Yo! MTV raps. You know, they can do eight minutes about beekeepers, uh, but they can't find anything to do on the Biden story. So it's not just that conservative voices aren't welcome. What they perceive as conservative, like things conservatives like, scandal stories conservatives want us to do. They're like, they can't possibly do that. And then, as we conclude, we come back to the NPR media reporter we call Fulkenflick. Yes, David Fulkenflick has a new story about Fox News. Um, we count, so far in 2023, the, the story count now is 44. 44 stories that David Fulkenflick has filed this year opposing Fox News. This one was particularly lame, though. It was eminently bloggable because the lefties now are somehow trying to slap at Fox News Channel by saying, we're going to go to the FCC with a petition to say the FCC shouldn't renew the broadcast license of the Fox-owned station in Philadelphia. Huh? What is the logic of that? I mean... Phone conflict does actually explain in here why this makes no sense. I mean, he doesn't say it makes no sense, but he explains Fox News is a cable channel. Cable news is not regulated by the FCC. And Fox's attorneys say what happens on Fox News has nothing to do with its Philadelphia station. That's right. Now, you could say, well, Fox News Sunday probably airs on the Philadelphia TV station as well as later on Fox News Channel. But this is a, just an extremely lame stunt. It is a stunt. But basically, a bunch of lefties got together and they've done this petition. Some group called the Media and Democracy Project. Um, their anagram is MAD. That seems appropriate. They're basically saying because Fox News was a channel for election denial, as they see it, that makes them, uh, Rupert Murdoch and company, shouldn't be able to ex uh, hold ownership of local TV stations. I mean, it, it's it's really desperate, but it is grist for Fulkenflick. So he does a story, and the star of this story is a guy named Preston Padden. Preston Padden was the top lobbyist for Murdoch at one point. Then he went and worked for Disney. You know, Preston Padden's now basically a Democrat. You can understand that. Because when they come on, when he comes on into the story, he says he's, you know, Rupert and I are friends. But I could see the tremendous damage that Fox News Channel was doing to the country. I could see it in the news. I could see it in friends and family who watched Fox News. And I thought, 
You help establish Rupert as a force in American television. You, Preston, have a responsibility to do something. Yeah, I mean, this, this is exactly what NPR wants. It's exactly what NPR listeners want. That Fox News Channel's destroying America. That your friends and your family are all brainwashed by Fox. They come to Thanksgiving dinner and talk about Hunter Biden's laptop. Oh, boring. We would rather talk about Stormy Daniels or whatever. Uh, you know, the, the point I wanted to make with this is, yes, David Folkenflik is not going to call us up here at Newsbusters and say, you know, I'm doing a story. I want you to be able to say NPR is destroying America. I can see it in my friends and family who listen to NPR. They're really delusional people who think the Hunter Biden laptop was a Russian disinformation plot. <laughs> So I do enjoy uh, sort of uh, tweaking Fulkenflick because I know, you know, it's not like, hey, Tim, don't upset Fulkenflick. He'll never have you on. Well, he's never had me on before. I'm not doing this because I want him to put me on. But it just makes the whole point. What is national public radio but a sandbox for the lefties? We all understand that. I'll conclude with this thought. I found this this week. Uh, David Rubenstein, who loves PBS, has a show on PBS because he throws money at PBS because he's a billionaire. He had an interview with Doris Kearns Goodwin. And Doris Kearns Goodwin is talking about how great LBJ is, how he's just one of the greatest presidents, you know, because he gave us Medicare and Medicaid, Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act. And then she said, NPR, PBS. Yes, the Civil Rights Act and PBS and NPR, you know. <laughs> PBS and NPR are achievements for whom? You know, she would like to say that they're for democracy. No, they're for the Democrats. These are media outlets that are used by the Democrats to sell Democrat talking points. They were, they were that way when it was established in 1967. NPR didn't really come onto the air in 1967. But the Public Broadcasting Act was passed in 1967. That's what she's saying. NPR really got going under Nixon, but it was authorized or legislated under LBJ. But NPR and PBS, right from the beginning, were all about destroying Richard Nixon. They, they, they tried very hard to do that, and it's, it's still the same thing. So NPR and PBS now trying to make sure the Republicans lose in 2024, because that's pretty much what they do in every electoral cycle. So let's not pretend NPR is your place for conservative voices, huh? That's delusional. If you want to know the truth, we've got our own apples here at Newsbusters. you got to come over here and uh, take a bite once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.